draw near to the big day coming up on our calendars I pray that you have made room for Christ in your heart and in your home and if you have not I pray that maybe something that will be said in the next few moments will open that door in your heart and you will uh, begin to allow Christ to come in and bring the love, the joy, the peace, the hope that only he can. He's a great God, amen, and a wonderful Savior. If you have your Bible and you wish to join, you can turn in Matthew chapter 1. And I do want to give a brief challenge here tonight from the Word of God and speak to you on the hope of Christmas. In his book, The Reason for My Hope, Billy Graham tells a story about one of the most amazing stories to arise out of a tragic situation. It happened the day after Christmas in the year 2004. At approximately 7.58 a.m. just off the coast of Indonesia, a massive 9.0 magnitude earthquake shook the ocean floor. The power of that quake caused a 100-foot tsunami to slam the coasts of 14 neighboring nations. Maybe some of you can think back to 04 and you remember that. The devastation was on par with biblical proportions. Estimates put the death toll of that tragedy at over 227,000. One lady who was caught in the panic of that day was a mother named Erlina Wati of Indonesia. Pictured there. And it just so happened that Erlina was nine months pregnant the day that the tsunami flooded her village. As she ran for the safety of higher ground, Erlina's water broke. Could you imagine? She crawled until she was able to find shelter, and somehow Erlina gave birth to a healthy baby boy. She remembered that incredible day saying, Quote, in such emergency conditions, no one really helped. There were no midwives. There were no medical equipment. Plastic bags were used as gloves. The umbilical cord was cut using a kitchen knife. My baby's navel was tied using a plastic rope. When the media began reporting on the birth of Orlina's boy, they dubbed him the Miracle Tsunami Baby. That child became a beacon of hope for so many during that time of devastation. And as I read about that, and I thought about the Spartan conditions in which that child came into the world, it reminded me of that stable some 2,000 years ago, where Christ came into the world in such squalor. Billy Graham later wrote about that. He said, quote, Hope is the dandelion shooting up from the crack in the pavement. Hope is the first ray of sunshine that peaks above the horizon, telling us we can make it through. Hope swells within a sea-weary drifter when he spots a distant speck of a ship that grows larger with each passing wave. Hope is a single burning candle on a dark night and the cry of a newborn baby announcing fresh life breaking into a fallen world of death and despair. You know, there's an interesting pattern in the Bible. When God wants to do something great, He doesn't send an army, He sends a baby. 
the Jewish nation was born when God announced to a couple of geriatrics, Abraham and Sarah, that they were going to be having a son named Isaac. Then when the Lord delivered his people from Egyptian bondage, he sent baby Moses up the Nile River. When Israel in a dark time needed a judge to fight for them and a priest to guide them, well, God sent Samson and Samuel, both who were supernaturally conceived by barren women. And as you read through the birth story again, which we will do in Matthew chapter 1, we see that when God wanted to change the world, (laughs) He sent a baby. When God wanted to inject hope into our dark and dying situation, He sent a baby. But not just any baby, the Son of the Most High God, the Messiah, the infinite became an infant. And as I read through the gospel again, I notice that hope percolates upward, piercing through the darkness and the danger and death, and it finally culminates in the Christ child. In fact, I would argue that one truth that the Christmas narrative teaches us is that hope is not just an idea, hope is not just a wish, hope is not just an abstract principle, but friend, I'm here tonight to tell you that hope is a person and His name is Jesus Christ. And I want to preach to you tonight, if the Lord wills, on this topic of the hope of Christmas. Because friend, you and I know very well, as you turn on the news feed, it's a tsunami of bad news, isn't it? It's an Omicron variant. It's inflation in our economy. It's problems socially. But if we could set all of that aside and focus in on the real truth, there is hope. And his name is Emmanuel, God with us. The hope of Christmas. I want to point out number one tonight that we have Christmas hope because God speaks to his people. We have hope because God speaks to his people. Let's read in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But he considered these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, friends, soon after Mary had learned that she was going to be a mother, we read now that Joseph got word in a dream that he should not divorce Mary because the child she was carrying was that long-awaited Messiah. Now, if you take notes in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1 and 2, this is actually the first of five dream sequences that we read about in the birth narrative. You can find the others in chapter 2, verse 12, and then another one in verse 13, verse 19, and verse 22. 
Now, in Matthew's account, what you see is that God will deliver four messages to Joseph in a dream and one dream to the Magi. But as I read this passage again this morning, what struck me about this dream was the perfect timing and the circumstances that were going on in Joseph's life when this dream occurred. Here was a heartbroken man. He was a man feeling betrayed by Mary as he saw her growing belly. He was also in anguish, as the Bible tells us, over what to do. And yet, I read in this story that God's word came into Joseph's life just at the moment when he needed direction, when he needed a word, when he needed clarity. God was on time. I love what the psalmist said. He said, this is my comfort in affliction, that thy word gives me life and leads me along the path on which I should go. Friend, I'm telling you tonight that there is hope because if you are searching for answers, if you are wondering what the next step should be, if you are anxious about your future, the Christmas story reminds us tonight that God still speaks into our confusion. That God has a word in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the bad news, when life don't add up and things don't make sense in your situation, that God has a word for you and that God still speaks to those who have ears to hear Him. You see, the Christmas story reminds us that when He speaks, it's an unmistakable voice and it gives us light to take the next step Wisdom to make the right decision and hope to know that his plan is a good plan. You see, Joseph not only heard the word of God, but we also are going to read in the story that he heeded the word of God. And he is proof that you don't have to understand fully to obey completely. And think about this. No doubt Joseph's obedience is going to cost him especially in the arena of the popular opinion. I'm sure there were wagging tongues and judgmental people who trashed his reputation for his decision to stand by Mary. And think about it, what could he say to them? As the rumors swirled, as people talked, and no doubt in a small town of Nazareth, what could he say to them to defend himself? Well, uh, God appeared to me in a dream. Uh, They're not going to believe that. They're going to think he's just as crazy as the girl that he's with. But notice Joseph's resolve. You see, when when God's word and God's will becomes clear to you and you have an inside track uh, that God has given you that maybe other people don't understand, you know what God's word will do when he speaks to you clearly? It will bring courage and it will bring resolve uh, that you might be able to walk by faith. You see, friend, if you've got a word to stand on, then even the devil won't be able to move you from it. And what a challenge to us as I read this passage that uh, we ought not to worry about what the world might think of our walk with God, uh, what the cost may be, because if you are hearing from God and God has spoken to you and given you a direction in life, then stay with it because that path isn't for everybody. Now, naturally, you read this text and the question may arise in your mind, well, does God still speak to people like this today does God still use the avenue of dreams we know he did in the Old Testament you could turn to the book of Daniel you go to also the book of Genesis with Joseph honestly there's nothing in scripture that says that this is impossible 
We know today that God's primary means of communication to us is through this word right here and through the power of His Holy Spirit and maybe even the saints of God. But if God wants to use a dream to communicate to somebody, hey, I'm not going to be the one to put God in a box and say He can't do it. In fact, I've read numerous uh, stories of people in closed countries having dreams and visions that result in their faith in Christ. In fact, Caitlin and I, we have a good friend, a lady from Iran, and she's told us our testimony many times, and in her testimony she says uh, that when she was searching and when she was unsatisfied with the religion of Islam, that she went to bed one night and Jesus met her in a dream and declared to her, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christian author Lee Strobel, he wrote a book a few years ago called The Case for Miracles. Here's what he said in that book. He said, quote, more Muslims have become Christians in the last couple of decades than in the previous 1,400 years since Muhammad. And it is estimated that a quarter to a third of them experience a dream or a vision before their salvation experience. It gets exciting to me to know that God still has a word for today. Oh, His Word is settled. His Bible is complete. We don't need to add anything to it or take anything from it. But I'm excited that God can still speak to somebody today. God is speaking to somebody in this church tonight. Uh, maybe you didn't even want to come here tonight. Maybe your soul is set on something else. Uh, you're thinking about the next thing. But God has a divine appointment for you here because He has a Word for your life. He has a promise for you to hang your life upon. He has something to say to you that's going to change your destiny and your direction tonight. Hey, I know that God speaks to people today because I've heard it from you. I just talked to a brother uh, this past week uh, from the church, and you know what he told me? He said, Pastor Derek, he said, I drove by this church a hundred times before, and every time I drove by, uh, God told me, you need to go in there, and you need to hear the preaching, and you need to get back in the house of God. And lo and behold, he finally did obey the word of the Lord and he got in here. And after a few weeks of coming in, his daughter got saved and born again. And now he's active in the church. And I'm telling you that God still speaks. I know that God still speaks because he did it last Sunday. I was talking to Brother Stan and he told me a side of the story of what happened Sunday morning. You see, some of you left out too early. You were concerned about being the first one in lunch line and you didn't see what God was doing. But after the service was over, we had a young lady who come forward, and we took her uh, up there on the stage, Elise and I, and we had the privilege of, of presenting the gospel to her and praying with her, and she uh, repented and she received Christ right up there after the service was over. But what also was going on at that time was standing Carmela had brought a visitor, and she was sitting right here. And she uh, heard some things and witnessed some things in the service that Sunday that she had never seen before, uh, got a touch of the Holy Ghost, I believe, uh, and the Word of God touched her life. And as she saw us praying up there, she nudged Stan and said, oh, what is happening? Is she becoming a Christian? And Stan said, I believe that's exactly what's happening. And after we were done praying with her, Carmela brought the guest up to me and said, we need to meet, we need to talk. And there were already tears streaming down her face. Friend, I'm telling you, that charges my batteries. Hey, it was a hop, skip, and a jump down the Romans road, and she was ready to repent 
and trust in Jesus Christ, I get excited about the house of God because He's still speaking to hearts tonight. He's got a word for somebody. Hey, He even gave this old preacher something to talk about tonight. We have hope, friends, because our God is not silent. Hey, He's still powerful. He's still there. He breaks through the ordinary. He interrupts our plans. He changes our destiny. He uh, gives us a glimpse of what might be, what could be if we reach out and walk by faith. You see, God is speaking through His Scriptures and through His Holy Spirit and through songs and through saints. And I'm thankful tonight that we can have that hope in Him. We have Christmas hope because God still speaks to His people. Then number two, I want you to see this here tonight, that we have Christmas hope because God keeps His promises. God keeps His promises and so you can have hope. Notice what verse 22 says. All this took place to fulfill what the word of the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this angelic announcement in Joseph's dream helped this old boy connect the surreal events that was happening in his life to an ancient prophecy spoken hundreds of years before him about the coming of the Messiah and let him know that, hey, Joseph, this is all according to God's plan. It was pre-written in the prophet. Now, specifically, you'll notice in our text that Matthew cites Isaiah 7 and verse 14, which at the time was a 700-year-old oracle predicting the virgin birth of Christ. Remember, Malachi was the last prophet to speak. And from the ending of Malachi to the opening of Matthew, you have what they call the 400 years of silence in which there was no new revelation from God. And so think about it. It's been 700 years since Isaiah gave that prediction. 400 of those years, there's been complete silence from heaven. And so I believe that as we open this text, it's safe to say that the Jewish people at this time had just about given up hope that God's word could ever be fulfilled. Proverbs 13 and verse 12 reminds us. It says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And century after century rolled by. It's hard to think about 400 years of silence. Century after century rolled on without the slightest whisper of God. Some of you may feel that way tonight. You've drifted from God. In fact, let's just be honest. This might be the first time you've set foot in a church in a long time. You've drifted from the Lord. You hadn't heard Him speak in a long time. And you're here tonight because there's just a little spark of hope. That maybe God's got something for me tonight. Maybe there's something that, that, that I need to hear. Maybe there's, there's something beyond just the, the presence and the trees and the lights and the get-togethers and what Christmas is about. Maybe there is still something that God has for me. God hadn't given up on you. In fact, it ain't over till God says it's over. Amen. But God's promise of this virgin-born Savior wasn't just on life support, friend. At the time that Joseph received this, I believe it was practically dead. But here's the good news of Christmas. 
when hope in God's promise was at an all-time low, that's exactly when Christ came into the world. And Mary and Joseph learned through the events of their life that God is not just a great promise maker, but oh, He's a great promise keeper. In fact, this is just one promise out of 300 specific prophecies made in the Old Testament concerning the first coming of Christ. And all of them were fulfilled right down to the gnat's whisper. I read this interesting story. Listen to this a few years ago. There was a story that was reported about a military father who made good on a Christmas promise to his kids. Here's the headline. Marine dad, home from deployment, gives kids a Christmas surprise. Brian Mueller had spent a year with the U.S. Marine Corps overseas in the country of Bahrain. He's not supposed to return home until February, but he had made a promise to his 9-year-old and his 6-year-old that he would find a way to get home for Christmas. You dads know what that's all about. When you make a promise to your kid, you'll move heaven and earth to make sure that that promise is met. Brian, the story said, managed to get a Christmas leave approved, and when he told his wife, they planned a surprise for the kids. Here's what happened. A few days before Christmas, Helen took the kids to a Christmas tree farm to find the perfect fur to take home. After the kids picked out a tree that Looked like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree, a pitiful pine. Helen, the wife, pointed to a man standing up on the top of the hill with an axe. Said, "Why don't you go and get that man and tell him to come down here and cut the tree?" As the kids trudged up the hill, Dad emerged from the rose, and an unforgettable reunion ensued. Friend, as I read that story, I thought, "Wow, that dad came through for his kids." And I'm reminded of the heavenly father that we have. And if an earthly dad can keep a promise, if an earthly dad can make good on a word to his kids, friend, what will our heavenly father do for us in keeping his word? I'm here tonight to tell you that uh, people will fail you, that governments will break promises, uh, that folk you fall in love with will break your heart, that promises are easily made and are not often kept, but my God has never led me down a way of disappointment. My God has never made a promise that He could not keep. My God has always been faithful. And you can have hope tonight because somewhere in this book, there's a promise for you. Somewhere in this book, there's a spark of hope that you have yet to discover. And friend, if you latch on to it and you make it your own, you're going to find out that God is there with you through it all. Promise kept. By the way, the promises concerning Jesus' return, listen to this, outnumber those of the first advent by a ratio of 8 to 1. You say, what does that mean, Pastor? I mean, there's 300 predictions concerning His first coming, and there's thousands concerning His second coming, and if He fulfilled every one of them down to the gnat's whisker concerning His first coming, then those 1,845 prophecies concerning His return those are good as going to the bank. And friend, I don't know about you, but this world doesn't offer me much hope. Uh, this government doesn't offer me much help. And as I look out on the horizon of the world and as I think about where we are, uh, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ excites me even more. I'm looking forward to His return, uh, seeing that promise fulfilled to go up, up in a way for Him to return in glory and in victory to take the church 
and to smite evil and to bring justice and judgment to this old crooked earth. Friend, he made a promise that where I am, you may be also. I'm going to prepare a place, and if it were not so, I would have told you. You see, he was born because we couldn't get to where he was, so he came to us to take us to where he is. You see, because God is all-knowing, he can see the future perfectly, so his promises will not be disrupted by unforeseen events. And because God is all-powerful, He will never lack strength to fulfill uh, those promises. Because God is holy, He can never lie and promise something that He couldn't deliver. Because God is faithful, He will never renege or go back on His word. I don't know what promise you're clinging to here tonight. Maybe you're clinging to a promise for healing or salvation, or for an answered prayer, or maybe a promise for a miracle. You know what the Scriptures say to us tonight? It's keep believing. Hey, keep believing, keep trusting, keep walking with Him. It was a long time from Malachi to Matthew, but little Mary and Joseph saw the promise of God fulfilled in their little household. And friend, God is faithful. If He said He's going to do something, you won't be able to predict it. You won't be able to know His timing or His ways, but you can go ahead and start rejoicing and praising Him like it's already happened because His promises are sure. He don't know how to break a promise. Oh, friend, you can have hope tonight. You can have hope in this Word and hope in the Gospel because not only does He speak to His people, not only does He keep His promises, but thirdly tonight, you can have hope, watch this, because God gives us His presence. We can have hope because God gives His presence. Look at what verse 23 says, and I'm done. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, let's say it together, church, God with us. One of Jesus' many titles. Friend, listen to me. <laughs> Prophets weren't enough. God had already done that. Apostles wouldn't do. Angels wouldn't suffice. God sent more than miracles and more than sermons. He sent His Son. Notice the text doesn't say that God made us, or God thinks about us, or God is above us, but God is with us. He's with us in the valley and on the mountaintop. He's with us at the graveside and on the sick bed. He's with us in the foxhole or on the assembly line. God is with us in the mundane routine and in the daily grind. Hey, do you believe it, church, tonight? You can have that hope because you've never been alone. He's not abandoned you. You are not an orphan. He is with you. And here's what makes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ radically different from every other religion that's out there. Christianity's got the corner market on everybody. You know why? Because religion... That's man's attempt to try and reach God through good works or through ritual or through giving or whatever. Man's attempt to reach God, but you know what? Christianity is God reaching down to man. It's God coming down to where we are in the great hope of this message is that when we could not get to Him, He came to us. And when Christ came, it was the hand of God reaching down to you and me, reaching down further than what we could reach up. And I'm thankful tonight that He can reach way down and even grab a soul sinner like me and redeem me.
I love what Max Licato said. He wrote these words. He said, step into the stable and cradle in your arms the infant Jesus. Still moist from the womb, just wrapped in rags. Did Mary know she held the one who saw the very first ray of sunlight or heard the very first crash of a wave? God with us. That means the artist became oil on his own palate. The potter melted into the mud on his own wheel. God became an embryo in the belly of a village girl and was delivered by the calloused hands of a carpenter for a short time. Jesus pitched his tent in our neighborhood and now he asks us if we will make our heart his home. Think about it, friend. Here's what Emmanuel means. Emmanuel means he's not ashamed of your past. Emmanuel means he's not afraid of your pain. He's not put off by your poverty or inconvenienced by your problems. Uh, he doesn't stand aside as you waste away in depression or addiction or whatever that sin might be. Friend, he came all the way from heaven to get involved in the sin and the death and the dirt and the mire and the muck of this world. And he will meet you where you are. That's the hope of Christmas, his presence. I'm going to finish tonight by reading an article that was published a few years ago by Chuck Colson, who's now gone on to be with the Lord. Many of you probably remember him from the Watergate scandal years ago. Chuck Colson gave his life to Christ, turned his whole life around. He had a prison ministry where he went into the prisons all over the country and visited incarcerated people. And he brought them the hope and the message of Christ. Well, before he died in 2012, he wrote about what God did one Christmas. Listen carefully. He said this, Bessie Ship was spending Christmas in jail. A slender woman, Bessie was watching her life slip away rapidly. Though she had not been sentenced to death by the state, she was under a different death sentence. Bessie had AIDS. He said, I met Bessie that Christmas day in a North Carolina prison for women. I had come to give a Christmas message to the inmates there. As we walked down a narrow corridor, a heavy door was opened to reveal a small, dark cell. There sitting in a hardback chair was a tiny woman wrapped in a bathrobe, shivering in the cold. After chatting a few minutes, he said, I came to the point. Bessie, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? I want to, she said softly, but I don't know how. Would you like to pray with me and know Christ as your Savior? Bessie looked down. She twisted a Kleenex in her thin hands and then whispered, Oh, yes, sir. I've wanted it my whole life. So we prayed together in that cold concrete cell. And Bessie gave her life to Jesus. Only days later, Bessie was paroled. Friends and prison officials had been trying to get her released for a long time. And now the timing was providential. 
She stayed long enough to meet Christ, and then she went to her home, a new Christian. But a short three weeks after her release, Bessie contracted pneumonia and had to be hospitalized. Laying on her deathbed, she said, Sir, I want you to know, these last three weeks with Jesus have been the happiest days of my life because I know I'm in the Lord's hand. Two days later, Bessie died. She went to meet the Savior she had accepted only a short time before on Christmas Day in a dirty prison cell. When Jesus came to earth, he wasn't born in a grand palace. He was born in a rustic stable that reeked of animals with mice scurrying underfoot. And Jesus comes still to wherever we are. Not only to a warm, well-lit home, but also to a run-down tenement building and gray prison cell. That, my friend, is Emmanuel. That is the hope that we can have tonight. And I don't know how dark your cell might be tonight. But I know the light of the world. And when he steps into a situation, oh, the scales fall off. And we see for the first time. I want to do something a little bit different tonight. Can we have every eye, every eye closed and every head bowed? And during this solemn moment, maybe the Lord has spoken to somebody here tonight. Maybe you say tonight, preacher, I hear you. I need Jesus tonight. I've run from God. I've made a mess of things. I know if I got what I deserved, it wouldn't be good. Well, friend, I want to tell you tonight there's hope if that's your situation because Jesus Christ went to the cross and he, he died for your sin and for mine. He was the only baby born to die. And because of his sacrifice, friend, you can have the hope of eternal life, the gift of salvation. If you're in that situation tonight and you say, Pastor, I, I know I'm a sinner, I know I'm lost, but I want to receive Christ tonight. I'm not going to do an altar call, but if you are in that situation, could, could, you, could you just raise your hand? Anybody, anywhere across the house, if you raise your hand, I'll pray for you and pray with you. If you need Christ tonight. Maybe somebody else is in a dark place. Maybe you, you have given your life to Christ, but you're just not living for Him. Maybe you say tonight, Lord, I, I, I need to come back home. I need to rededicate. I need to give my heart back again. Lord, I've heard you. you you've spoken tonight, and, and thank you. Does that describe you? If it does, can, will you slip your hand up and just let me know? Just let me know that God's dealing with your heart. Thank you for those hands. Before we do our candles, we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to deal with these hearts and these situations. Lord, we come to you tonight humbly, thanking you, Lord, for your word and how much hope there is in Christ. And Lord, I know that some have come tonight weary and broken. There are some tonight who have indicated that they're far away from you. Lord, maybe there's somebody even in here who hasn't really indicated, but deep in their heart, they know that they're lost. 
Lord, I pray for that one. God, that your spirit would speak to them. Lord, that you would help them to understand how much they are loved and how Christ wants to change their situation in their life. For that one who's discouraged tonight, for that one, Lord, who's looking for answers, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that they would get back on the path and walk with Christ, rededicate their heart in their life tonight. What better gift they could give than to put themselves, put their heart in the hands of Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word and how you've spoken to us tonight. We pray, Lord, that this has been an exalting time to the name Jesus. We ask this prayer in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen.